Hi, my name's Mo. Recently, I've been recording and editing Unlicensed Therapy with Ari Manis. I'm making this video because this upcoming episode, I made a mistake and lost the audio files. I don't have an excuse. It was fully my fault. And so, the sound quality will not be as good as previous episodes. And it is my fault. No one else's. Ari made no mistake. Uh, I apologize. I still think it's very enjoyable, but who cares? Or, you know, it's not up to me. Um, I hope you still enjoy the episode. And I'm sorry again. Broke up my marriage. You're an awful person. You're 24 years old. Why would I listen to you? Why would you be giving therapy and advice to people who clearly need it? It doesn't make any sense, Ari. This is a horrible idea. You're listening to you're listening to unlicensed, 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 unlicensed therapy with Ari Manis. Ari Manis. Do you wear headphones just because loud noises Looks panic cool. you while um, you're doing the show? Monitor it ourselves. See, I see. You do stand up. Right. So you know how to talk into a microphone. This is true. But right. there's a lot of people, and I'd say over 50%, that come in here. Right. And if they're not wearing headphones, sure. it ends up like, oh, they, yeah, sure. And they're talking, they don't know. They just think, oh, that's, it's going to pick it up. That's lunacy. Lunacy. <laughs> right. You're a pro, though. It's you true. don't need headphones. No. You don't want to wear headphones. No, no, no. no. I take yeah. it out. Yeah. And, and yeah, honestly, they're dirty. You know how many times you get Yeah, I have no you idea. Are you kidding? Twice? We're in the mean, age of COVID. You know how often they get cleaned? When I see that they're dirty. Like, if they're visibly dirty. Right, yeah. No, I no, clean no, them I, sometimes. I know what my own uh, earbuds look like sometimes. So, I, yeah. of course. Yeah. <laughs> Smart. We should be rolling on all this, I think, clearly. I mean, I don't yeah. know why. Gold. Okay. Yeah. Headphone gold. <laughs> We could solve so many problems if we just recorded everything I say. Yeah. Some people do that. Some people, these days you get a pocket recorder for 50 bucks and it has great battery life, right? SD card. You could record your whole life. That's right. You wanted to, audio wise. Yeah. They don't have to have near the overhead you do. Mm -hmm. They don't have to water the, the greenery. What's that um, TV show where they follow them around on camera back in the day? They? That, oh, that show. Uh, you mean the Osbournes or? Uh, <laughs> reality show. No, wasn't there like a scripted, show where he was on camp he was on uh i don't even know what i'm talking about. yeah cops. i don't either i mean there's, lo cops. there's been lots of them cops. cops yeah cops that's what it was Candy yeah camera i don't know mm -hmm. but uh yeah so what would be your solution to the increasing issue in los angeles of homeless people on the streets um well first of all there can't be a singular cure because there's not a singular uh reason for the problem Correct. Oh, that's smart. Um, yeah. You can't attack it all the same way. The primary, obviously, you got you got three elements, three primary elements: untreated mental illness and drug addiction. Adult brains because of drug addiction, not just usage. What's the second thing? Adult brain. Yeah, like you're bro adult broken. Like you oh, oh, use so much that it's not about getting you in recovery. It's that you've literally damaged the interior of your skull in a way that right. you might as well have schizophrenia or something like right. that. So that's a primary aspect of that. Then you've got the the second tier, which would be the 
uh, I think the prevalent view of homeless by the people who mean well and want to try to help, which is people who have fallen through the cracks, um, couldn't make rent too many times, single mothers, single fathers have children. Yeah, that's like 10 of them. About, yeah, right. And, um, but you, you, most of the problems are set up to solve. Most of the solutions are for that problem, which right. is the minority currently. Right. The other third, um, quite frankly, in, in Los Angeles, crack. No, no, no. That would that would fall into the drug okay. aspect of it, or the fall through the cracks. The fall through the cracks is you're an addict, and you can recover. You can mm-hmm. get in a program. You can get back on your feet. You can have a real life. That would fall in the second category. The third category is campers. You literally do have, uh, and, and it may even be a 60-40 situation. We're talking about the other two groups are 20-20, uh, you know, and 60% of them are, are street campers, which is, you know, half like, when does Burning Man start? And um, they've legalized I'm weed in okay this state. I'm kind of okay with that. Huh? I'm kind of okay with that. Well, until you, until you hear the statistics on a good portion of the campers, which is, um, people on the sex offender registry who haven't been able to find an apartment. So in, Los- in Chicago is a great example. Chicago, they did a broom of the homeless. Um, there's also another reason why we have a I huge- brought this issue of not knowing you were an expert on this issue. Yeah, that's true. You can say that about anything yeah. um, you bring up to me. Um, but uh, it's a comedy role. But the um, primarily, like in Chicago, they did, you know, one of the reasons why we have so many here is because ours survive. It's the same reason why. The, so good. Yeah, it's uh, right. You, you live, want the water, water by the That's a great idea. Celsius. I'm a big fan of Liquid Death. They have those at uh, the House of Blues. There was the House yeah. of Blues uh, across from the comedy store on Sunset. Yes, there was. Now I sang there many, 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 many times with Steel Panther. Oh, I oh, love shit. Steel Panther. I used to see them when I was in college. I yeah. Keep saying. Yeah. I'm glad you did your homework. So anyways, back to homelessness. <laughs> I got to solve one problem at a time. Your lack of musical education is something that's going to be a, that'll be the bottom half of the show today. So the, uh, in that 60% that largely in Los Angeles survives because there's no bad winters can get through because there's actually a substructure of, of uh, homeless programs that will make sure if you need to eat, if you need medical care, there's something for you. Unlike a lot of less favorable cities, say in Texas or something like that, which is they'll put you on a train or a bus uh, and, and say, yeah, they'll send you, they'll give you a ticket to LA. So we should San Francisco. Them. Well, no, I mean, that's immoral, illegal, and dangerous, and you, know, you don't solve it by shuffling it, but. I've always been kind of a gray area guy. I, I could tell. Um, uh, Chicago and New York, for example, don't have as big a homeless problem because they have really harsh winters. Right. And that, uh, you know, you're losing. We're not gonna be able to do that. That's no. a problem we're never going to Yeah, no, no. We're going to solve it with uh, knowing you can't uh, wait for an earthquake. So the um, that's one of the reasons why the number comes up. It's also why they camp here. We legalized well, weed. We got snow machines. Right. We legalized weed. Now, legalizing weed does two things. One, you don't go to jail for it, but you also don't get processed for it. So it used to be that in a city where they basically decriminalized it, the cop lets you go on your way. doesn't care if you've got a certain amount. But in when it's illegal, what they'll do is they'll if if you're sketchy, if there's if your camp is curiously close to a school, for example, <laughs> they'll run you because of the weed you have on you. Right. And and that that's that's where you get the illusion of nonviolent drug offenders clogging up our um, our prisons, which is it, 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 they were a portion of it, certainly an outsized portion. And it's not necessary to have nonviolent drug offenders there. But it was often the crime they could get the bad guys for. In lieu right. of that the stuff they couldn't. Why they arrested them. That's right. But really it's because they were seedy and Correct. Gross. And so in Los Angeles, for example, they can't run you just because you've got drugs on you. Right. And that allows a lot of the people around the legal fringes who are genuinely dangerous to camp among 
the people that, by the way, they will victimize first, which is the other homeless people and in neighborhoods that they wouldn't normally have access to. So um, that's that's why our number has grown, because you've got ambulatory, clever people who could, by all means, have an apartment, live a normal life. However, they've either been too dangerous to screw up early in their life they're to like kind of remedy that, or yeah, or they're, they, they, they're, it's opportunistic. It's weird when you think about people who like children. I don't. You'd think, well, we just talked about it, so we're thinking about them right now. No, no, no. I, I mentioned it. I don't think about it. Okay. That's a difference. You know what I mean? Can, I, I'm not please, saying we think please about Please tell us all on this show when what you, your deep thoughts are about those. About yeah. when you think about child monsters or. Pedophiles, whatever, the, whatever you want to yes, call. Yes, I think about a hammer and a stain on the wall where well, they used to be. Well, I, I think in my head there's like ten of them, you know, in my oh, head. No, 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 no. But they're they're rampant. Oh yeah, yeah. Apparently, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and and those are the ones you're thinking of the ones, by the way, that get caught, that are sketchy, that are you know maybe the occasional BTK that they catch and you know uh, like a zoo animal, buying torture kill that guy oh, who was yeah, Wichita yeah. for years and stuff, and he yeah his first true victim was uh, an entire family, but the target was this one little girl in the family that was the primary launch point for his uh, weirdness uh, in that particular series of crimes. But it took him decades, and he basically caught himself by being stupid. But um, a good portion of them, if you watch those like To Catch a Predator shows, mm -hmm. they, like they're these quote-unquote relatively normal, which means they yeah. can just hide amongst everybody. Right. Which is, you know, speaking towards sociopathy amongst the populace. But What's sociopathy? Sociopathic. sociopathic tendencies. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like a, I got the trend, yeah the, yeah, the sort of statistical trend towards that in any large group. Every community is a little of that, right? No. no. Um, and, uh, you think I am? You well, know that's, me pretty well. No, but I got... I we got established he's a comedian. Clinically, yet. I'm sociopath. You are? Mm-hmm. How do you well, clinically get sociopath? They took me in when I was a kid. I was killing animals. I can't. Rats with like sledgehammers. Rats are pretty gross. Though. I know. You could argue you were doing. But it I was a kid. Sure, and you were enjoying it, or you were not. I was or with you didn't friends. Care. I was with friends, right. so I was enjoying grossing them out. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, I understand that. Oh, um, yeah. Okay, that, yeah. yeah, that that tendency towards violence, though, that leads to what to the area of sociopathy that they try to correct. You are correctable clearly, yeah. unless we're both going to discover that he's been on a crime wave. And True. He's be a crackhead. All right. So I got all the tendencies. Yeah, see, there you go. You got impulse issues. Yeah. yeah. Um, how was the lead in the water where you grew up? Uh, it was Florida. Yeah, all right. So they didn't care Florida. for a long time. Yeah. Has a lot of lead. Well, no, they have a lot of uh, different water sources. And the plastic line, uh, it's like a plasticized lining they put in pipes to keep the lead out of the water, which is what happened in Flint. They switched water sources. Mm -hmm. And the source that they had had a pH level that burned all that out, which made the lead, the lead from the pipes leach. Into the and that the, that's what causes no, but it it causes developmental disorders that uh, lead to impulse control issues, oh. and it turns your prefrontal cortex into Swiss cheese. So a lot of the people who've had high lead exposure have holes in their prefrontal cortex where your moral judgment is, where your impulse control. Kind of like CTE, the guy, the football yeah. player who who had sex yes, with men and killed people. Very much so. Yeah. yeah. When there's something wrong with the first part that he has sex with men, but it well, it depends on if those men wanted it or not. I think I, it's the clear part. Well, in this film, it seemed like they wanted it. He had sex. With well, he was famous. So yeah, he was a sure-looking guy. Uh, I, when I was a kid with my dad, 
I've never shared this before. It's really, it's kind of a disgusting. The story would start weirder if you were like, when I was a kid with someone else's dad, that would, that would <laughs> no, be no, a weird my dad, story. My this dad's a good guy. You're supposed to be around. No, maybe it wasn't even my dad, but I think he was aware of it. One time I put, uh, there were all these frogs around my house. Mm-hmm. And one time I put a frog in a glass of water to put in the freezer. So I want to see what happened. Kill the frog. Yeah. But it, it wasn't a regular thing. That, it was a one-time the, thing. In the forties, they call that future scientists of America. And when, you know, at, at Boy Scout camp, when I was a kid, the whole thing used to be to like uh, catch these little frogs and clap them in your hand, and it would squish them, and you could like that. Oh, I didn't do that. Yeah, oh. it, that was a that was a thing at, at camp, and it was always the the kid who came up with that or or showed it to everybody else. Yeah, yeah they were trouble. They were going to be a, they, you could see their road laid out yeah. before them. And since I grew up in Kentucky, there were a lot of those kids. I guess I was trouble. I'm a troubled kid. Uh, this is a premise I thought for pedophilia to make a joke, but I haven't figured out how to make it go on stage. Maybe we could all workshop on it together. I don't get why there's pedophiles because to me, kids are so gross. Like they don't like to shower. Mm-hmm. They don't like to brush their teeth. Like I, I hated brushing my teeth. Mm-hmm. All I did was go outside and play. I didn't wear deodorant. Like kids are nap. They're just physically Sure, nap. sure. And, and, yeah. and somebody who's committing the, uh, the vile act of pedophilia, the, the, the interpersonal form of emotional genocide that it is would be put off by a lack of minty taste <laughs> of the person that they were forcibly making. I, I think that's where we've run aground yeah. with the premise is that, uh, there's a there's a grossness meter that's peaked uh-huh. that you kind of pass the I mean if you're gonna in most situations if you can get away with it beat your victim to death and bury them in a shallow grave I don't think deodorant's gonna factor in much <laughs> you know what I mean yeah. I think you're gonna smell like the back of your truck anyways that's, so yeah I mean that thinking about it realistically well you asked me to and now yeah. i have to now I have to figure out you're right. how it no, works you're, you're making good so points. that i can stop it from working because that's yeah. that's the plan that's how it works that's how yeah. you yeah you must be able to consider all things without being enveloped by all things oh you have to tell him your idea for homeless i didn't even finish out his song oh go ahead so yeah. oh yeah yes yeah, so we have uh, three primary outlets the easy one is the one that we're already working on there's a there's a there's a you know programs for giving people haircuts and 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 but that's them up that small it's very narrow yeah, yeah. It's for that 20 percent um the 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 adult part you have to reinstitute some sort some sort of forced um uh mental institution where you keep people because it is unethical to take someone who has so much brain damage or so much mental illness that they cannot take care of themselves and turn them out on the street as some sort of act of more morality or freedom. You can't say that that is the higher moral good because these people should have access to their freedom and, and locking them up in that idea is effectively just locking them up in traffic where they will get run over, which they do with great regularity. The third group, um, you just have to pass zoning laws and start grooming them and they'll move to Calvin. Yeah, get them out. Yeah. Get, oh, yeah, that was my solution. Yeah, well, that's the thing. And and a bunch of them will move to, like, California City, or they'll shack up out, you know, in these Burning Man type of enclaves. If they're on the, on the leading edge, if they're upper middle class campers, they'll end up in, you know, Tucson, Arizona, you know, weaving things and selling shit on Etsy, and but, which is probably where they were before the whole weed thing out. And then, quite frankly, you're that gonna okay. you're gonna yeah, have to. Shop. There's gonna be an eight to fifteen percent incarceration rate amongst all of them because there'll be crazies that aren't crazy enough to pass off as like that doesn't excuse their behavior. They know right from wrong. They just spun. And then there's going to be the campers who have a record. And the reason they're camping is because they don't want to be on the grid. Because when they're on the grid, people realize, oh, you 
you sexually assaulted an eight-year-old two years ago and you've been on the run ever since and they should be in jail already yeah yeah exactly and that nobody should have let them out in the first place um because their victim doesn't have that option that you know no no one gets paroled from their trauma no one gets paroled from a cemetery so there you should that should be a factor in the intensity of the crime that's committed I heard there's a lot of corruption and the reason why homeless issue has been fixed is because all the money that goes to it, which is millions and millions of dollars, mm-hmm. just gets siphoned between rich people and spread and just rich people hoard it, take yeah. it for themselves. You don't think so? Yeah. No, I think it's over. I think it's, I think it goes into the organizations. I just don't think they could solve it. So the money gets, it's good money after bad in a lot of cases. And like I said, you're talking about in the, in the equation we created 60, 20, 20, which is, I, I think, a legitimate way of looking at the volume. You're taking... Uh, all of the money to solve homelessness, mm-hmm. aiming it at 20% as if that's all the hundred percent. And so all the money you spend in that fashion, in that style with those solutions is wasted on this 60% and wasted on this 20%. So this group eats it and they get medical checkups that they don't necessarily need you know, the solution. because they're not really, you know, they're, they're choosing to be where they are um, mm-hmm. for one reason or another. Prisons have doctors for a reason. You want free health care? Finish for your sentence. Prison. Right. Um, for those folks, for the, for the pedophiles. My dad used to be a doctor at the San Diego County prison. There you go. Yeah. And then you've got the other 20% who are mentally ill, who uh, you're never, you can throw as many haircuts and, and uh, meals and, and the overnight stays at them as you want. And that money is spent. That money's gone. That food that is bought is gone. Those clothes are gone. All that stuff. And you'll start from scratch with this person again tomorrow. And it's unfair to them. So, you know, institutionalizing people who are broken mentally is is a humane thing to do. You just have to set really strong rules so you're not abusing it and just using it as a way to scoop up drug addicts that you that are a hassle you know you can't throw them in jail so you throw them, you know and we're back to 1950s lobotomizing people because they're weird that's the concern that's what started a lot of this was that fear was that if you're going to solve it you're going to solve it Is that way still legal um only if you do it yourself i think with a kit you buy off amazon i'm oh. kidding no 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 <laughs> no it is not um but there are we're effectively chemically lobotomizing yeah, people true. in a lot of ways. Um and ones on Adderall. Right, right. <laughs> that's different though. That's and that's that's interesting because Adderall hyper focus, I would argue that Ritalin and Adderall are the reason why we have so much blooming racism right now. What? Across the spectrum. Because it 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 you take a person who's brain scattered, can't keep on one track. I mean, you give them a drug that hyper focuses them. Mm-hmm. Once they link onto anything. Everything will fit the mold because Adderall and Ritalin will scoop all of the signal into one noise. They'll focus on they'll focus on patterns, and and in our society, some patterns are stronger than others, and will become self evident to someone who's chemically driven in that direction. But I don't think Adderall's making them think like identify with that. That's no, I think I think that. they'll blame a group. It, it'll make you tend to blame one group or another for a particular behavior or something like that. Or you'll see uh, a news stories about 10 people. They all have the same color. So you will assume that when that kind of crime happens, it's those kind of So people. this and, study hasn't done, but you think it should. If we took a, a thousand racist people, find out what percentage of them are on Adderall or, or Ritalin. Yeah, Ritalin or something like that. Or, uh, yeah. I mean, it's an interesting theory. 
Oh, yeah, I've okay. heard that before. Or like, were raised that yeah. way. And so their brains were directed that way during development. And now they may or may not be on it, but they were, you know, effectively trained. They were on at They were chemically yeah, so, trained. So what percentage of racists either are on Adderall or right. were on Adderall as a child? Right, yeah. In the modern era. Because you had it, you have it really, I mean, my generation, Gen X, for real, like late 70s, early 80s, we were starting to buck the 60s trend. We were two generations away from the the Jim Crow crowd, our grandparents who were the tail end of that, their parents were largely hit. Uh, their, our parents were hippies. So they were largely actively moving away yeah. from that and trying to, you know, recognize that. And then they, you know, moved into just making money. Like the, the, the hippies became yuppies, but they didn't turn on their social stuff. They were more open socially. And then something mid nineties started to wedge. Uh, yeah. I'll wedge. tell you what it was. Yeah. I, this is my theory. And this is based off of Gary Busey's motorcycle instinct. accident. No, what? <laughs> this is based off just gut instinct. I think there's actually the least amount of racism right now. Mm -hmm. It's just there's more people and there's the internet. So they're organized and they're in yes. groups. So we notice it more. Agreed. But I would say there's least less racism now than during the hippie era or during any other era. Well, clearly yeah. than during the civil rights era, because it was, you know, it was, you were right. literally, you're creating sides and right, sides right. will, Obviously people that, will, yeah. people will lean one direction and fully side with one side. That's how nationalism happens after an attack like 9-11 is that even if you're not 100% in, once the attack happens, you're 100% in. Yeah. you got to batten down the hatches. And so as we talk about this in cruder and cruder terms on social media, people will tend to camp. Yeah. And, and yeah, you're side, side, even yeah. if they're not, even if they're 80-20 themselves. True. It's like, I don't identify as a racist, but... But you are. This you know what I mean? It's like media the, is so pushy that I'm like, maybe I want to be racist now. Because it's like... <laughs> it's the hip so place much. to be. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you're you're going to see... I, I think the, the reality is social media, you know, branding has become such an important word and thought form, which is effectively like ignoring all parts of yourself that you can't sell mm -hmm. as a branding is as a human being. You know what I mean? It's... And, and, and while being authentic, um, whatever the fuck that means, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. We're going to talk about the parts that you won't like, but I'll be authentic. Yeah. Right. Um, but over that process, what you've had is the junk version of authentic of uh, branding is what do you look like? What's your religion? What's your race? That's the quickest one. And what it's happened, what's happened is, is it's caused because of the, the big, broad, dumb strokes of differences between human beings is what they look like, what their baseline religion is, or their nationality, for example. And so those are the easiest ones to um, to brand yourself into. And then amongst that, you have to subcategorize and subcategorize and subcategorize, which is where you have sort of the gender movement is is a, a, a navel-gazing version of that, where it's just gone so far into it that it people aren't even allowed to be outside their own gender norm when they're not gender norm already. So they, they, they're, get, they're you're saying yeah, they're you at the same time. I understand the slice, the slice of the gender identity spectrum that they occupy has become so specific. So appreciated, you know, is, and, and you're allowed to be that now, but you can't get out of it now because it now defines you beyond your mm -hmm. own, the rest of your worth. And again, that goes to the whole, um, label, your label becoming more important than your essence. And your brand is your label at this point. I, I find it's much easier to just be legendary. <laughs> <laughs> and more badass. That's true. It is. What do you, what gender do you identify as? 
and we don't judge here. Oh, well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I'm male and I'm a man. Cheers. Thanks. And, um, but I also don't think um, my descriptives are up to me. You have long hair. It's true, as did Jesus. But, mm-hmm. you know, I won't suppose if don't, he's don't, real. Huh? If he's real. I am. You are. That's yeah. all you need. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. You were talking about two long haired guys and one of them yeah. sitting right across from you. Yes, I win. So anyways, the but the idea is that I am uh, fit. I'm genetically chromosomally male. Mm-hmm. I'm a man in the traditional definition of that. Whatever I want to make of that definition of man, like having long hair or what have you, is my business. And neither of those definitions um allow me to not describe myself in any number of ways if I want to. And no one else, this is the, I think the crucial part is I am not responsible for, nor do I care for, nor should I, nor do I believe anybody should be taught to care about how someone else describes you. And what a lot of the fighting that's going on right now is about, is about how someone else describes you, whether they use your pronouns, whether they describe you as what you are. And the problem I have with that entire conversation is that it gives a tremendous amount of power away because now if you misgender me or you, you know, and you know, if you're walking behind me as you were in the hallway and went, who's the hot chick with the broad shoulders. (laughs) And I turn around and you have that moment that you had, um, you know, and that's, yeah. Um, (laughs) um, all of those things, if I were to be offended by or hurt by that, that gives you more power over my personal definition of myself than I have. And that's wrong. And I think it's a terrible thing to teach people. So I, that's why I, that's where my issue with the gender conversation around the LGBT community specifically has had is that it entails a lot of giving your power away to other people. Cause if, cause I've had do I've had long hair most of my life, except when I've been a Disney dad or played a gay character. Okay, after you, I looked up a headshot of yours and you had, Short hair, pierced ears. Mm-hmm. You go through a lot of different looks. I want to talk to you about your looks. Um, yeah, I mean, I uh, literally, I mean, my ears are still pierced. Oh, they are? Yeah, they are. Um, Have I you just, ever gotten caught on anything? No. I always, by the way, and that's a good question because I've actually always wore uh, pull hoops mm-hmm. because if I'm ever in a fight, I don't want somebody to get a hold of them. Do you get in a lot of fights? No. When was the last fight you got into? Early 90s. I could see you being like a closeted tough guy. Am I close? Is that what I am? Yeah, like you don't look that tough, but I wouldn't want to fight you. Well, that's the that's the purpose of that's what real tough would be, I would imagine. Because you don't have to walk around going, I'm tough. Sure. If you're doing that all the time, clearly that's a sign you well, yeah, that's may not be. Do you right. agree with the stereotype? Bigger the hoop, the more of a slut that person is? No, 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 not necessarily. No, no, no. Because yeah. they could be precious or princesses, I suppose with uh, bigger hoops because it's like long fingernails at a certain point there's a return on investment to where you can't wipe your ass and you're like oh this is a person who wants to be taken care of <laughs> but but by a lot of different men maybe or women well it would yeah. take that many i suppose yeah. you need a well, whole yeah. team yeah. like i noticed and maybe this is an ignorant thing to say women probably really long nails. i'm just gonna pre- i'm gonna predict yeah. this it, it probably yeah is. i guess if i preface this with that it probably right is. but i've noticed in my personal life if I meet a girl and she's got really done up long nails, mm-hmm. goes gets manicures and pedicures all the time, mm-hmm. she's done stripping in her life. 
Yeah, really? Does it have anything to do with the fact that your office is right next to the body shop? Because <laughs> uh, uh, this might also fall into the idea that, that human beings are fundamentally lazy mm-hmm. and that uh, one of the things that a spy will teach you the minute you sit down with them is that you don't have to look that hard. Just find out where they're all holed up and find a restaurant nearby because they day after day after day after day, every job. a lot of spies? Let's stop at that spy where he is. Yeah, that's the first yeah, time I've ever heard that. Yeah, spy story. People are lazy, so um, you guys, more than likely, like everybody else, will occasionally find some place to eat during your break that's far away for variety. But right. the vast majority of times, there's three places yeah. close yeah. by, yeah. and if you stake out all three of them for more than two days in a row, you'll find the primary one. And if you go in there and sit down, you can start up a conversation with one or both of you. And you guys wouldn't be the wiser that you've been, you know, tracked for days. And that's, I mean, that's true all over the world. Always has Do you been. used to be a spy? Are you a spy? What? Who would you answer that allowed, question? Yeah, you wouldn't be right. allowed to say it. No. Okay, no. Based off of that, what do you think? You if think you, if you, you were a spy, who spy? would you spy for? I guess I'm, he's American, but mm. he has a lot of strong political views. So maybe I could, and dislikes a lot of things about America. Russia? So you're a traitor. Well, yeah, why would, why would you believe that I have strong political opinions that I dislike the country. That's fascinating. That tells me more about you than about me. Ooh, man. Now he's trying to turn it back on me. This is... I didn't, I'm not trying. I did. Yeah, this did. Is I did. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. The sociopath agrees with me. You just the used a spy technique on me and it works. No. You're good. Yeah. That's FBI training. That's American training. Yeah, that's right. That's, that's quality. That's homegrown. Yeah, that's that's made USA kind of... I've yeah. ever seen. Right. Good for you. Yeah, thanks. If what's the first thing? What's something that like used to be a spy thing, top secret, but now something you can teach us as non-spies that's kind of <laughs> leaked into the regular world? Uh, mirroring, just mm. copying someone? No, not copying them. Literally mirroring their actions and that kind of stuff. Like if I, you know, if I was really trying to, you know you know, ease myself with you. I would, you know, slowly over time, set my drink over here. And that would make me trust you more? Or what's mm-hmm. that? Do? Yeah. Let down your guard. Over time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I didn't, did you know about that? Yeah. yeah. In the act of flirting with women, they say to do that. Yeah. What? Yeah. yeah. Pick up, pick up artists. Most of those books is like early, that. early, like derpy 1950s spy work is what the, most of the pickup artists. Uh, I've never read one of those books, but I want, I've always wanted to. I just kind of don't have the bandwidth for it. Or lazy. I'm lazy. Well, and you're right next to the body shop. Like, you're, <laughs> yeah, you're so much low hanging fruit nearby. I don't know why it's not. They're not requiring any kind of lock. I've never been there. I've been coming to the comedy store on this street for ten years. Never been in the body shop. It's a good place. I've been on the other yeah. one. Yeah, body shop is one of the best. Mm-hmm. It has bad Yelp reviews. Well, it's a strip club. Yeah. yeah. What kind? First of all, um, if you take Yelp reviews on places like strip clubs <laughs> seriously. Please don't go in one because you'll you leave them. Yeah, the, right. That's what I mean. The kind of person that actually does Yelp reviews <laughs> yeah. is just a fun suck in all of those kind of situations. Well, here's the thing: it's like if I'm giving, this bar was like the music was too loud and everybody was dancing. I'm trying to talk dancing. right. Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. If I'm giving a business my hard-earned money, they got to know my thoughts. They got to improve or not. You know, they, no, they no, they don't. No, they don't. They really don't. They should. No, I mean, no, they could, should. No, unless you're there, like, uh, you're their whale and you roll in there once a month and basically pay the rent with your, uh, you've, your never had, you've never had a restaurant experience that was so bad that you're like, I need to leave a bad review for this. 
business. No. Not once. No. You ever been where the food came out and it was just nasty and cold and it took an hour and a half? No, I, the I used to, really I have this really, rat running I have this old technique that I use in those circumstances where I never go back again. <laughs> it's so freeing and it doesn't require any extra effort on my part. Sometimes it's so bad that I have a slight urge to get vengeance on the business. And the Yelp review is vengeance. No, a bad Yelp review. But, it, but it's, it, I think, again, we're back to, to you telling me more about you than the restaurant. <laughs> because I can look at Yelp reviews and go, oh, assholes hate this place. But I also leave good ones. If a place is good. Yeah, nobody reads those. <laughs> but it helps the business. I know that I'm helping them. And I know that leaving a bad review is the opposite. Okay, good. This yeah. is the opposite of help. Is that the, that'll be your autobiography title? <laughs> the opposite of help. The opposite of help. <laughs> you got the opposite. It's like right yeah. there, right next to the art of the deal. There's the opposite <laughs> of help. Do you still do stand up? Yes, I watched because I watched part of your special mm -hmm. before, and it was really funny. Thank you. And but I noticed, like, okay, you live in LA, mm -hmm. you've been doing stand up a long time. You yeah. have a lot of uh, acting credit, com comedic roles, stuff like that. But I've never seen you at any of the clubs around town. Because I tour. Ran into each other? Tour. No. Because yeah. real comedians <laughs> are out in the world mm -hmm. and these are showcase clubs. Right. But you don't, you never have the desire to do some of that? No, I do, I do sets, but not with the, that kind of hangout regularity. Mm -hmm. I mean, my agent wishes I did because mm -hmm. it's a networking thing. I don't right. know what fuck kind of network comedians have. Hey, yeah. let's Just both be on stage hand. headlining at the same time, which <laughs> said no one ever. So um, because I've been headlining most of my career, um, I, I like it didn't serve any purpose and work. Right. And I used to, okay. So when I first moved down here and then you know, like I graduated high school in 88, moved out to LA. So I'm, I call the nineties, the Sisyphus years. You just roll the rock up the hill and watch it roll back down. Right. It's just sucked. You can never get traction, that kind of thing. But if you, I but feel if, like that now. Right. Well, of course um, you would. Um, but in <laughs> the, uh, it, I can, and I can't tell you that uh, there's an ever and there's an end to it. That's up to yeah. you, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but during the you know during the '90s, I was trying to get my acting career off the ground, so I couldn't leave town like that. It was always like summers, other times like when I if I hadn't gotten a series Can't or something, yeah. I, yeah, I could do it to some degree, but less so. And it was enough. I could go out enough to pay my bills, but I needed to be here most of the time. Mm -hmm. So if I wanted to work out and I wanted to write material, I had to do it in open mics around town and they weren't going to be the clubs um, because they, you know, there was this like kind of guardianship, like getting through this membrane of belonging. Even though you, so at this point you weren't acting and stuff. Cause I feel like you have enough of a resume now to where these clubs would throw you spot. Oh, they do. Yeah. No, no. They ask me all the time, mm -hmm. but the problem is I'm always doing stuff. Yeah. But, um, but during this time when that would have been functional, helpful, a good place to mm -hmm. work out, um, I would do clubs and, and open mics around and invariably I would see TV writers sitting in the back of the room with a yellow pad stealing jokes. Stealing jokes. Yeah. And, um, in the early nineties, uh, GQ put out a list of the top 100 jokes of all time. And number four is mine. That's cool. cool. Uh, it's attributed to Bill Maher because one of his writers was sitting uh -huh. at the kindness of strangers and it ended up in the monologue on, and on he, he knows. Uh, and he, we've talked did, about did Bill Maher, Bill Maher, I, I don't want to miss. Not his here. fault. Did he got caught for stealing jokes at one point? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like they fired. Yours, yeah. They fired those writers because yeah. they were basically farming. They'd come to a place called the kindness of strangers in the Valley where a lot of good comics, my, myself, got him, Jeff Keller, Mike Bundy, all these guys I was coming up with, um, were great writers. And 
a and bunch like, of them, oh, we won't a bunch of them got screwed out of careers essentially and burned because and, and too afraid and so I mean you want to ruin yeah. somebody's creativity and kneecap them as a comic steal their good shit while they're coming up especially when they find that nugget that works and right. then broadcast oh, it with 10 minutes of fire takes a long time yeah Damn, not, not, not me not yeah. not for me anymore I can yeah. pretty much whip out an hour in a weekend but the but for a lot of people especially when you're starting yeah I've been 10 years still hard. it's work yeah. yeah and if somebody came in and took your finisher mm-hmm. or your key right. bit um, it's, it, it's a lot, it's hard for a bunch of people to recover. So they, they did even more damage than just theft at that yeah. time. We used to throw them out. That was the early nineties actually used to identify who I was going to get out of here. Here's yeah. Yeah. No, I would. Yeah. That's um, crazy. that was the last fight. I think it was at the guidance. Uh, but the joke at the time was, uh, Kevorkian was in the news and it was, uh, you know, physicians assisted suicide is just a terminally ill person's way of saying to God, you can't fire me. I quit. And uh, yeah, I, I was really happy with the crafting of that joke. It was the anchor of a bit I had about the whole concept of, you know, and it ended up in the monologue and, and, um, and like I said, wasted on a monologue too. It's like right, not even a special or something. Right, and then it was like a throwaway for that. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, and so those, you know, during those years, that kept me away from like I'm not working out in this town anymore. Stupid idea. My but stuff, also, doesn't working out in this town is what leads to like you had an hour special, you know, getting a late night set. These other goals that maybe no, you wanted to do. No, you know? I skated uphill the whole time. Um, all my work was done elsewhere. Um, especially as a comic, like, uh, you know, I cut my teeth in Chicago. That's, it's, it's a blue collar experience. Nothing magical about it. You just do your job. And so that's really the place to learn. I think. Oh, you, like, so you did stand up for years. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. So Chicago, Boston, Seattle, New York, to some degree lesser because there's enough media there where that can also happen to you. Mm-hmm. But these lesser markets are places where you can hone what you are without somebody stealing your crap that you don't know personally. And, um, so that, that the nineties are that like I literally, I I remember very distinctly um, trying to get on stage at the Improv, like trying to get some real time there. Right. So I took the stand up class there because oh, yeah. I had, because they had the showcase. Yeah, the showcase, yeah. and you would get a tape, and so mm-hmm. you could use that. I needed a new tape of new material mm-hmm. to send out to clubs back east and in the Midwest, right. and I had no way of filming it in a club. You know, right? Uh, yeah, they just you wouldn't do it. Out. So I was like, I'll just it'll cost me two hundred fifty bucks to have it. A tape, yeah. but I'll just write and it'll yeah. be the juice. Yeah. So I did that and um, uh, killed at the showcase. Afterwards, I was like, you know, like clearly the anchor. I mean, because I've been doing it the longest. I knew right. what I was doing. You didn't need the class. You were doing no. the tape. Yeah. yeah. And so afterwards, I was trying to get time there and couldn't get it. Couldn't like. Be, and yeah, then, that's not the place to get time. No. And then I get uh, talk soup, uh, leave talk soup, dude, dude, where's my car? While I'm shooting, dude, where's my car? I get queer as folk. So I'm shooting two years into Queer as Folk. I come back down. Uh, well, I'm living in Canada because that's where we shot. I come down for the summer, do a show. And I'm like, I'll try and get up on stage at the improv. You know, we've got enough yeah. legs in this. Yeah. Have me up. So I go down there and Bud Friedman introduces me personally on stage oh, and and brings me up. This young man, we always knew he was so talented. <laughs> we always and uh, and he took uh, his his mentor was one of our comedy teachers here. And I was like, whoa, Ugh. and um, your fault. You took the class. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, it, it served my purpose. It yeah, was yeah. a necessary evil yeah, at yeah, the yeah, time. Yeah. I didn't have options, mm. but it was very funny to me. Yeah. That, you know, and I told Bud this story, like I gave him a, uh, I, at the Cabo comedy festival, I presented uh, his award 
And I was like, I told the whole story about how like backhanded and fucking awful that felt, you know, to have him, you know, say that. That's probably every comedian that's ever like made it or gotten some yeah. success. There's probably 10 people that are going around going, you know, I discovered that guy. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're like, no, you didn't. No. As a matter of fact, you were stiff arming me yeah, more yeah. than almost anybody else. Yeah. If you had, if you were in the position to discover me at any time before yeah. I was discovered, you were actively working against me <laughs> if I if you didn't discover or it didn't help me until I could help you. Right. Right. Oh, uh, what I want to go back to, you mentioned uh, doing music with Steel Panther mm -hmm. because I used to, that was my go-to date spot back when they were playing here once yeah. a week. I would bring girls, I was in college at the time mm -hmm. and I would bring girls to that show all the time because it was, a, it was an incredible show. It was f hilarious. Yeah. The music was dope, really good. Yeah. Uh, you would get two drinks and included in the price of admission right you, i think you had to buy two drinks and mm -hmm. then there were celebrities going on stage there were tits it's true we we're talking about tits earlier that's right. right always glorious tits you have you've been to that show no oh yeah. my gosh it was so steel panther is a spoof 80s metal band they started out as metal school um or metal shop actually so good at the viper room and then grew into metal school moved up to like the roxy and yeah. uh and and then um, switched names again and became Steel Panther. Started doing originals, like comedy original spoofs on eighties music. But before they were basically when I saw them, the they board. were like pretty much all cover. But yeah. they would do one or two originals. And I thought that was perfect. Not they're all originals. Good for them. They're they're killing. Yeah, them, but I don't enjoy it as much. Yeah, I understand. Yeah. That. And uh, um, I jump up and do the covers mm -hmm. and stuff with them. So yeah. like I, um, I've sung Skid Row and Alice in Chains with them. Journey. But how'd that come about where you even knew them and they knew you to bring you up on stage? Because I, when I would go, I would see like, I saw Vince Vaughn go up there and do right. I saw the whole Dodgers would watch them. Mm -hmm. uh, Dane Cook was there sometimes. Mm -hmm. Like it was like big celebrity. Yeah, yeah. Um, largely, I think they probably got introduced to me. I mean, it's fairly early on, but Talk Soup and, uh, and, and Queer as Folk is the idea that like, you know, the, the joke's come hot and heavy from those guys as roasters. And I think Queer as Folk was one of their ways of uh, seeming hip. Um, but even beyond that, like I love the eighties when I did all the mm -hmm. H1 ones that it's, it's abundantly clear that I was one of the hair metal experts. Oh yeah. On yeah that. That's so, true. and um, uh, my band, my legit, like, you know, genuine music band. Cause I have, I'm in nerd Halen as well. And that's comedy. Right, they're in right now. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Uh, but my original band, the first live gig we ever had, was at the Viper Room um, opening for Metal Shop. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah. That's cool. And at that, this point, did they, they didn't know you. No, no, like, no. They just saw they me perform together. Yeah, I don't know. I think they didn't necessarily know my other work at all. They just knew the band. Yeah. Just knew Zero One. And so from that, it spawned from that. And what do you do in the band? Are you a guitar? Single. Single sing play guitar. Yeah. That's badass. Yeah, yeah. I like to watch that. It's pretty great. What, um, when you were on that, you were on... A the queer what queers folk queers folk which was a little before my time so I didn't watch it but um, you played a homosexual man on that show it's true and in real life you're a heterosexual man is that, that is true so in today the most clinical way that question has ever been asked and there's nothing wrong with being a heterosexual man although they're making it out these days I feel like you can't be a heterosexual man anymore um, I've never had a problem yeah I get problems it's sometimes people are like you need to be gay and I don't want to be but. Uh, you know, men. In what, West Island, what, West kind of, what kind of Catholic church casting sessions are you going to? Anti-Catholic. <laughs> it's, it's been a weird ride, but... I understand. Uh, so I feel like in today's society, if you did that, you'd get in trouble. Have you thought about that? 
Like, just like, it's so PC right now. If they have a straight guy playing a gay guy, people get mad. Well, I mean... Uh, the, uh, there's a different kind. Sure. I mean, the only reason I was able to play the role in the first place is because they couldn't get people to audition for it, gay or straight. How come? Because no one wanted to be gay. Yeah, the well, they were afraid of it. I mean, now it's, you know, it's... Um, it, it, it seems almost... Um, cool. Well, I, I would I would simply say, I like, I normal. It would seem... It would yeah. seem you know, it's it's averaged out so at this bad. point. I wish but, I was gay. Uh, I'm I'm sure there's classes nearby. Um, something I wish like that, that was a improv. gay conversion camp, but to be gay instead of to be straight, I'd take that. Would you? Yeah. See, um, my issue with that is that there's an idea that sexuality is that malleable, which would be sort of, if you think about it, anti-gay. Um, uh, and that's also my problem with it because I if. if if somebody said, we don't think straight people should be able to play gay characters or what have you, the obvious answer is then, are you saying gay people can't convey straight characters? That's an absurdity. I agree. And, and secondly, oh, do yeah. you want to live in a world where someone cannot be hired based on their sexuality? Mm-hmm. I mean, no. That's, that's, yes, that's, that's the yeah. biggest issue because that's what you're ultimately arguing. Yeah. You're saying straight people shouldn't play gay characters. What you're setting up is a legal precedent where companies all across this country could go, we don't hire gay people. We hire people based on their sexuality. And right. they'd go, you can't do that. And go, yes, I can. This company did. They made sure that only gay people could work right. on this thing. And they went, okay, well then we all only straight people, which would be a terrible thing. So ultimately the interesting thing about Queer's Folk was they didn't ask. They didn't ask anybody's sexuality, yeah, nor, should, nor should they, yeah. nor should they be allowed to. Right. Um, the, and I was open about my sexuality and the fact that I'm straight Largely because there's a huge contingent of people that either believe you wouldn't support gay rights or be on a show like that if you weren't gay, right? You must be closeted and really you're just working for the agenda, right? <laughs> and those people are wrong. And, or that if you if you try it, you're going to turn gay. Like it's something, because if you can turn something, you can unturn that thing. And therefore, somehow gay people are not a, a, true to their being. There's they were turned gay or they can be, and, and therefore conversion therapy could work or some nonsense like that. And, and, and it is my understanding, like I was on that show for five years, there are six years doing five seasons. Um, if that's not going to turn me gay, nothing is going to. Therefore people don't turn. Did you get are who they from are. being gay on that show? I imagine because a lot of people, they, you know, even though we know it's acting on TV, mm -hmm. I would assume a lot of people in real life thought you were gay. And during that time, did you get hit on? And you're in Hollywood, West Hollywood area. Did you get hit on by a lot of gay guys? Not, not any more than usual. Not any more than usual. So well, um, you weren't like, a, you know, I imagine you were popular in the gay community. Yeah, I would hope so. But more, more, I think for like the political stance I took around the show, and you know, and the work I did in it, like as a kind of as a sidecar to the show. Um, that's where the appreciation came from. I don't. Um, necessarily think that's just in that gay people are on autopilot about like uh, their attraction to somebody mm. they would be there you know um so and and i you know i don't know i suppose if somebody played somebody sexually a woman played somebody sexually promiscuous on a show for example i'm sure they'd get more male attention yeah out in the world than if they played a, you know, someone considered prudish. And right. so the highly sexualized aspect of the show might draw more attention because of that, but I wouldn't draw an inference. You didn't notice it. You weren't like, oh, I'm getting a lot of gay news. Trying to 
No, like I said, not more than not usual. Enough. What about, did you ever get offered to go to like the Abbey and get paid to just show up there? Do you get any like gay nightclub appearance? No. Okay. I mean, what I did, like the Abbey is the staging point for the AIDS walk. So when you're speaking at the AIDS walk in Los Angeles, you that's where you gather yeah, yeah, at the top. Yeah, at the top, they put on it, you know, 8 a.m. on that Saturday or whatever mm. before the walk starts, if you're going to go like, so that, and then we had two, I want to maybe three, but two launch party or whatever, you know, things for queer folk, like publicity things that we did there. One was the launching of a season and the other one was around the finale of another. Um, so we would go to things like that, but as a cast. Right. Yeah. yeah nothing. What is the biggest explosion you ever caused in your life with like fire and rockets and stuff like that? Oh, uh, I once filled a mason jar with uh, black powder and put a wick in it made out of gas. Uh, like gun, gunpowder? Yeah, yeah. Uh, my, my, we're from Kentucky. And my, my, we have a bunch of muzzleloaders. I have a Herschel House muzzleloader that's uh, a, a shotgun. Pre, no, a it's rifle? A, a rifle. Yeah, it's a black powder. Yeah, you, you pour in. You already had gunpowder. Yeah, filled up. So we are. We had an old. Luckily, we had indoor plumbing. My dad's an architect, so we we when we moved into this house in Kentucky, we. He built a real bathroom in this house, but there was an outhouse in the back of it. We used it as a shed and kept all the uh, gunpowder and stuff out there. And so one time my buddy Kurt and I snuck out there and got a whole canister of it. And we were going to do what we'd seen in uh, like Wile E. Coyote cartoons to see if it would blow up. And so we put filled a jar to the top with black powder and put a rag in it soaked in gasoline. And I lit and it burned all the way to the side. Like it just whoop like that. And then it stopped right there. Oh boy. And I, we wanted to see what it would do. And so I went back over and I pulled it out a little bit further like that. And I lit it. And as I was running away, cause it was very short, it went like that. And I, everything you see in a movie, like that's all the secondary with a sound system. What, what happens in real life is everything goes silent Be, oh, because your ears just get overwhelmed. Yeah. And, um, I, I, my buddy Kurt was behind this tree and the thing was, there's two trees separate, like, by about eight feet and I just lit it and ran and dove, you know, to go behind the tree and I like that, just this big overwhelming. You didn't get to see it. No, he saw it. Um, well, he saw the out uh, around the tree and the tree, we went over and looked out over and the tree was scorched all the way up, like wow. 15 feet up the side of the and tree that house was and gone. just like, glass stuck into it like buried in like sideways the impact was so strong wow yeah that's scary and I think was, that's the biggest one was, it was the outhouse just that was no no back by the house this was out in the woods we, we oh, knew better God. than to yeah, you didn't do it in the light up no, no 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 we knew better than to light up uh, a makeshift bomb near an outhouse <laughs> full of black powder yeah if you were we were we were dumb we weren't stupid I yeah you're smarter than I would have been mm -hmm. if if you were in a gas station and someone came in with a black ski mask and was trying to rob the gas station. How would you handle that situation? Where am I in the gas station? Physically. Uh, hey. you're, you're paying. Yeah, you're at the register. I'm at the, I'm at mm -hmm. the register. Mm -hmm. So you're near. Um, you're right in the thick of it. Well, it, 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 I would assess whether I thought the person was serious. I would look at the gun more than I would look at them. Um, are they, do they have it in their, uh, are they sticking it like this or are they doing this business? This. Question. Yeah, we got this. Oh, and that's easy. Take it. Well, yeah. you do it without question. Will you do it? 
Huh? You take it? Or yeah. You just I mean, you, you set me up. I am. Yeah. I'm a foot and a you half. You have to do anything. I'm a foot and a half from this dude. Yeah. Yeah, I'm taking it. You well, do it? Yeah. If he's standing like a... I believe it. Would like, you? If you're yeah. standing there like a dipshit and he's holding it out like this at the guy, he's brandishing. It's far away from his body. He's he's but if you dangerous, this, but he but it's far enough away from him where you could get a grip on it. But if you let him proceed, he might just take some cash, go away, no one gets hurt. Yeah, but he also might kill that person and then me next afterwards. He might, but probably not. What do you mean, probably not? How many gas station robberies end up in murder? Lots. Homicide. Lots. But here's another thing to consider. It's 2022. If if you're a hero in this situation, you take the gun, you save the day, there's going to be all sorts of reporters, might reveal your spy identity, your other identity that you want. Oh, no, I I hide in plain sight, so I don't have that problem. I'm already famous. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. But there is a movie about a comedian who goes travels the world being a spy. Like, wasn't it a Paul Giovanni movie? No, you're thinking of uh, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. Um, uh, Chuck Barris, the host of the Gong Show, yeah. who was a spy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sam Rockwell plays him very Rockwell. well. Amazing, by the way. Sam Rockwell's like his. He he has the essence of, of him. What yeah. would be your dream acting role? <laughs> dream acting role. Yeah, you're you're a big star. You you get a pick at this point. See, because I've always wanted to be the old guy in the movie. I'm looking forward to being. Like, like, you? like, like no, I mean, I mean, genuinely old, like Burgess Meredith and like Mickey and Rocky. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that you want to be like a, a guide, uh, yeah, a guide, yeah, it's like a guy, like yeah, well, just like role model, the old wizened, yeah, wise, crazy guy, Gandalf, yeah, Gandalf. Yeah. Gandalf. I mean, the, obviously, uh, Sam Elliott and Roadhouse would have been a lot of fun. Oh, yeah, that's a good one, yeah, yeah. Um, a uh, you know, any kind of Lebowski sequel. Would be a, a, a joy. I love the Cohen brothers. You think there's gonna be a Bill, uh, Big Lebowski sequel? No, I don't. But that would be great. That, that would, would work. Yeah, yeah. Or, um, I, or would it be the? Or would it be bad? Like maybe don't don't touch the greatness. Leave it alone. Leave it where it lies. Yeah, sort of like uh, you know, Big Trouble in Little China is actually a sequel to Buckaroo Banzai. They just changed the character slightly. I didn't know. That. Um, I you know okay, I so don't why? know. The, you know I I would love to play uh, you know. A giant, ridiculous Marvel film, and, and I love, cool. and I love. I can uh, see you in a green spandex mm-hmm. suit. Yeah, yeah. Um, for just twenty nine ninety five. No, the you know, I have a tremendous love for pulp, joyful pulp, easy comedies and action, because I'm very aware that in the real troubles of life, those are the things people can put on and put those troubles away for a time. Mm-hmm. And I think that is an undervalued thing in our current environment, as far as entertainment goes. That people, that overthinking and placating every want and need emotionally, psychologically, that people have in every project is part of the problem. And it means you're not solving any of those problems. You're just making the, per- the poor person who's anxious more anxious by giving them another window to their anxiety, which I think is a dick move. <laughs> Yeah, it is a dick move. Yeah, I mean, it's where sitcoms have a tremendous amount of psychological value for human beings. They really do. They really, I mean, the more people have had their lives saved by sitcoms, I would argue. Yeah, how many people were raised by the television? Millions? Uh, Yeah, well, get get ready for the robots that also have a screen on them and then we'll feed you. Facebook? Yeah, how many people are now raised by social media? Raised by meta, right? Yeah, a lot. What is there anything in your life that I could help you with problems in your life? 
do you think I can fix? For you and you specifically? Yeah, me, Ari, man. The therapist. No. Nothing? No. You had no issues in your life? No, I have issues in my life. I could help you. Help. No, you couldn't. Give me a shot. No, I mean, I'm genuine. I mean, genuinely. <laughs> Just give me a chance to. Give me, give me one issue. Oh, I see. Cause that's that's what this is all about. That's could what be. the that's doesn't the, have to be. It could be. Gotta try. The uh, hmm. everyone's got issues. Gandhi no. had issues. You well, he was a bigot, and a misogynist. That's not Either. issues. But he had a, he had issues, personal issues too. Did he? Yeah, he told me. What did he tell you? That, like wearing bifocals was really a hassle, and he wished he lived in the era. I never context. met him. I lied, but if if I did meet him, he he would have told me that she was something. At like your age, the only person yeah. you could have been in his life would have been the person who <laughs> shot him, <laughs> because of how old he was. <laughs> um, and I don't know that you would have been old enough to hold the gun. So uh, there you go. Um, I doubt it. Um, let's see. I'm trying to think of anything. Do you go to therapy? No. Oh yeah, I could tell. I knew before I asked. What I just wanted to clarify. What a ridiculous idea. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, oh, I ain't. I ain't no little. I. Bitch. I. I, I mean, no bitch boy. I've had no. I mean, it's not even about like machismo about it. It's just like completely useless and ineffective. It seems like some it, people swear by it. Yeah, because they don't know any better. Yeah, this guy. They don't have any friends. You go to therapy? No, I would though. Yeah, right. if I had a good therapist, I would. Well, that's that that that. Well, it becomes an unfalsifiable right. effort because there are none. And yeah, I've had a few in 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 treatment centers. Good sure, therapy. but that's not therapy. Those people are guidance counselors, effectively. Yeah, yeah. they're they're behavioral yes. therapists, which is not the same thing as you know as cognitive therapists, for example. Okay, I see. Which what you're I saying. think is a racket. <laughs> I think overall it is too. I'm sure there are some smart therapists that could still help people because they're smart and they listen to you and they come up with good solutions or things to try, but that you don't need to go to therapy for that. Well, that again, that's yeah. more a behavioral therapist yeah. and that's what friends are for. Right. As the exactly. great yeah, yeah. Dion Warhol. If you have a good team, but maybe there's some people that don't have those friends that can help them. So, so I, I'm sure they should go see a, a behavioral therapist yeah. and that behavioral therapist should say, find some friends <laughs> <Yeah>. and then <laughs> they might do that. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I psychologically, it's it's a curious thing because, yeah, I I do a lot of work on myself, so I try to be. I can tell. One, of the, you know, I recognize shortcomings, and I have a plan for shortcomings. Either I wean myself away from said shortcoming, or I don't give a shit. <laughs> Yeah, both are solutions. Because are options. because some problems are unsolvable or the solution itself is worse. What's one you don't give a shit about? What's the shortcoming that you have that you're like, I don't give a shit, that's just my shortcoming? Um, I suppose I, you know, by some people's measures, I have an enormous ego. So, mm -hmm. you know, like there would be this concept of me being narcissistic. Um, but I found it such a functional thing, so useful, especially in a in a city and in an industry that tries to cut you down all the time. And people talk about how rejection is so hard to deal with. And I was like, well, a resilient sense of self-confidence, which will be mistaken for the emotionally weak as narcissism, um, is one of the most functional psychological tools you can have. And it requires, I believe, a certain amount of denial. Because, you know, I used to joke that in stand-up, the two most crucial tools you need as a stand-up are arrogance and stupidity in the beginning. 
because it is stupid materially and not a, not on a judgment level, but it is materially stupid to think you're going to make it because statistically it's a near impossibility. It's you have a better chance of dressing all in black, blindfolding yourself and walking across a uh, six lane highway in the middle of the night, um, you know, dur during a, a street racing crime wave than you do making it in any of the particular arts in terms of the 7.6 billion people on the planet and the number who make it. Statistically, mm -hmm. it's very hard. Very competitive, very hard. Right. So you'd be stupid to go out on that. And you need that level of stupidity. You have to, right. you got to not give a shit about the material reality you're entering into. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you'll never do it. Right. Right. And yeah, you have you to think be, about it. If you analyze it, you're not going to do yeah, it. Yeah. And it's why so many talented people never make it because they do analyze it. They do run the numbers and they do recognize it's impossible. And a lot of untalented people never think for a second, shit, <laughs> I'm not going to make it. Of course I'm going to make it. I'm gorgeous. You know, yeah, that yeah. kind of thing. So, and the other one is arrogance. Stand up in particular is an art form you cannot practice, but on stage, you can memorize a joke at home. But that's not stand-up. Right. Stand-up only happens on stage. And you only get better on stage. And you only can work on it on stage. Right. Every, it works, what doesn't. Right. Yeah. Every other art, you can go to a singing coach, sing forever in a tiny room with somebody you're paying to sure. tell you you suck or you're good. Mm -hmm. And eventually, they'll go, you're hitting the notes. The song sounds great. Your performance is good. Now go out into the world. Do you do so that? So you can have confidence. Do you take singing lessons? No. Um, I have, in the past, mainly to rehab my voice after right. I've wrecked it, which uh -huh. is where you get some tools. But point I'm trying to make is you can go to an acting class forever until you get your wings and everybody in class and your teacher goes, what a great actor. You're fantastic. Mm -hmm. You go audition for something. Right. Yeah. And even in that, the auditioning process, if you got the job, you can be confident that you were picked amongst a, you know, a, a group of people mm -hmm. to play this role. So you can be confident that you can carry it out because you showed in class and there that you can do it. Stand up. You have none of that. Right. You have to be so full of shit to stand on stage and think, these people are going to think what you're saying is funny because it's a singular art form. There's only one response. Mm -hmm. People watching music, they can stand still. They're still enjoying the music, just hearing it. Yeah. They can dance. They can sit. They can stand. They can hold their hand up above their arm, whatever. But if you're watching stand up Laugh. and you're listening, Laugh. laughter is yeah. it. Barking yeah. air out of your throat in a particular way mm -hmm. is the only way to show. None of this clapter bullshit. Right. I appreciate the writing. Yeah. Um, it you can had, clap and laugh, but just clap. Right. I mean, just, just, clap. just, yeah. Laughter is the thing. Yeah. And you have to be a certain level of arrogant to believe you can get that response out of people twice. Everybody thinks they can be funny because they just heard something and they can tell, like, you know, Jack Nicholson's character in Chinatown. Let me tell you, it's a joke. It'll kill you. You know, that, that moment, everybody can have that. But the professional comic goes, I can do all this joke tonight, tomorrow night, Saturday night, Sunday night, next week. And people will think I'm just thinking of it on the spot because I'm that good and they'll respond to it naturally. Mm -hmm. I'm sneaking up on them right. with this joke, which is what you have to do mm -hmm. to not burn right. out and do the yeah. right. That's the job. So uh, arrogance and stupidity are required in the beginning. Whereas, uh, you know, and so I embraced that. I don't mind arrogance as a tool. Mm -hmm. Stupidity was something you can solve Right. You can go, OK, statistically, I've made it to a certain point. Now I understand where the ladder is and you can go someplace where it's not as stupid. Coming to L.A. or New York is stupid. But going to Chicago first, where there's like a ladder where you can go, OK, I can open. I can do open mics. I can I can host 
I can feature, I can headline, I can tour. That's a ladder is however extended the rungs get, it's still a ladder. You yeah. gotta understand it. Mm-hmm. Nobody's gonna tap you on the shoulder and think you you got moxie, mm-hmm. like it's 1920s Hollywood or some shit. So you can you can minimize the stupid part of it while still know still knowing that statistically speaking, it's stupid. And then you can turn your arrogance into confidence over time. But you cannot do without either. Right. And so I've always felt like what some folks consider psychological or, you know, emotional negatives. Arguably, the greatest leaders, for better or worse, the greatest uh, inventors, speakers, motivators, whatever, teachers have all those traits. They've just found a way to corral those wolves into pulling a sled. Whereas other people think, well, that's not appropriate and they kill the wolves. Right. So, yeah. And that's what I think most people try to do in therapy is kill their wolf instead of make it a pet. And so over my life, that's what I, whenever I recognize where I'm, you know, coloring outside the lines, I either go, that's, bad and I can train myself to not mm-hmm. or, or raise it. Yeah. Or just go fuck it. You say a wolf is your spirit animal. No, 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 no. Um, it's a good one though. It's a good. What would you say? If you could, uh, cause it's a pack animal. So I'm not necessarily a pack oh, animal as a stand up. What if, do you have a spirit animal or, or a second part B to that question? Do you have a dream exotic pet that you would get if you didn't have to take care of it? Do a, you know, if it wasn't a big risk. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, I, mm, my girl, my girl and I have a couple of cats. So we, I've always wanted a Maine Coon or a, or a Serval, the big oh, like, giant cool. house cats. Yeah. You can get a Serval. Yeah, I know. Yeah. But I just don't want to deal with the litter box because, the, I mean, it's off the chain. People are going to think I need a lot. People, yeah, people are going to come over and think I use the litter box. That's how big they shit. Yeah, I didn't know that. Right. So, um, like, do you people poop in it? No, we are. We have one of them. And then if the you had like an outdoor Serval in the backyard and you had someone that just came three times. Yeah, then they're going to eat all the, like, the, the pocket dogs that all the neighbors have, you know, all those like little. That happened my parents had my mom had a, this mini Yorkie and we think it was either a coyote mm-hmm. or, or an owl maybe oh all right I don't know. Lion. it could have been mountain lion mm-hmm. yeah but they're, they, they're very sweet. where they live we've never seen a mountain lion out mm-hmm. there heard one but we've seen and heard coyotes mm-hmm. and we've seen and heard owls right that's where we're thinking but who knows yeah or I mean I, angry neighbor's dog when it, yeah I don't know. it's hard to, you know it would be hard to pick one because there's so many great traits of all of the animals i'm a big fan of bears bears are cool bears are very cool. thank you and soft just like you yeah. well that's true um uh do you ever see the movie the edge i don't think so anthony hopkins alec baldwin it's huh. it's about and it got sold as kind of the bear movie because it's these guys who are trapped in the woods and a bear's hunting them basically oh, wow. but it's david mamet wrote it and it's about the three stages of manhood. So each of them represents like the elder, the the midlife guy, and then the young impulsive dude. And they're all trapped out there. The young impulsive dude gets eaten immediately. <laughs> uh, spoiler alert. But Alec Baldwin is trying to basically, he's in the, I don't have to outrun the bear. I just have to outrun you kind of thing. And is having an affair with Anthony Hopkins, wife, Whoa. a supermodel who's only with him because he's got money to pay. Apparently. Right. And there's this, you know, it's, it's the story, but the idea is, is that every man passes through these phases and it's surviving them that matters. And it's a treatise on wisdom in the same way that the, you ever see the movie first man, the Brian Gosling movie about 
the Apollo missions yeah, and the Gemini missions. Um, I view that as a, as a treatise on stoicism. That movie is a lesson in stoicism, how to just get the job done. Don't give way. Everyone else thinks you should get emotional about this. Something terrible happened. Something great happened. You should give your emotions away to these things. And his, his whole thing and what makes him successful and capable and keeps everybody else alive and solves all the problems is his ability to not do that. And it's a, it, it's a, it's what you need to learn. You know, so it's, 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 everybody needs to have that skill. I think it's great. At least at times. I want to uh, yeah. thank you for doing my podcast. Well, go ahead. Thank you. There you go. See how easy that was? Yeah. You know, because when people say, I want to thank you to a crowd or a person, mm-hmm. what they're doing is seeking credit for themselves for being magnanimous. I want some credit so, for yeah, it. Too. Right. Yeah, yeah. Trump did, did it all the time. So I'll go back. I, 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 I want to thank everyone. Great. Yeah, I want credit. Yeah. Uh, and I'll own that. So thank you for doing the podcast. See? You know, and how oddly you, intimate and that also, is. Right? I wanted to thank you. Yeah, I see. want both out there. Well, I know I don't, I don't need in, to know. I don't want to give into you yeah. telling me that. I don't, thank I, you. I don't need to eat the, you know, <laughs> I'm going to keep it around. Kind of I wanted to thank you. I'm not. To take, borrow a Pat Oswald kind of thing. I'm taking you, back my thing. You don't want to eat ice cream and go, I can taste the rock salt. You know what I mean? I don't care that you wanted to. It, the only proof that you wanted to is that you said it. And if you say it with the, I want to, um, beforehand, that's not proof you actually did. It might be that you want to appear. I grateful. think, no, if I say I wanted to thank you, that's as good as a thank you. I disagree. No, it isn't. I want you no. to know that mm-hmm. I think that I no. wanted to thank you. I would know that if you just thanked me for being here um, and didn't put your ego oh, into oh, it. Yeah, I don't want to bend to this. I don't want to. What, what do you think I should do? I think you're on the receiving end of your own. I think you're hoisted by your own petard well, on unlicensed therapy. I don't therapy. know what petard is. <laughs> we're, we're getting. Uh, well, I got it. It was the best. Uh, uh, Enterprise captain. Um, he. Uh, oh, I thought it was a word. It's a person. No, I'm kidding. Oh. That was a joke. Um, <laughs> I'm not very funny. Uh, what's uh, It's basically like pulling a pulley up like this, and you catch yourself, and you pull yourself up. By your own. <laughs> it's a, it, like it's an accident. It's like being ensnared by your own yeah. snare. You got such a good vocab. I grew up in Kentucky, and I didn't want people to know. <laughs> so That's true. I would never know. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't know. Yeah. Well, I do. I know I sound, your Wikipedia, but if I didn't read right. it, I wouldn't know. Yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I um, moved when I moved out of Kentucky. I sounded like Elvis, and uh, you know, but but with a great vocabulary. And then you know, moving to Chicago, it was really about you know um, leveling our family. My dad especially was like, "You got to level yourself up. We're not going to be hicks our whole lives. So we got to <laughs> do something about this." Good dad. Yeah, You're a role model. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for doing my podcast. See how and look how like I, yeah, I just look how I, like, I want to give you what you wiggled, want. I want to give you what you want. Thank you. Oh, it's about me now. Yeah, I I see. So you have to do ego transference on this. I want because you can't. It can't just sit there. My ego. I don't have that big of an ego. Watch this. You want to see something? Watch this. Watch this. Thanks for having me on. You're welcome. See that nice? Thanks for doing it. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I didn't know you. I didn't know what to expect, but I learned a lot today. I know. You're a smart guy. It's true. And can't now made me a bigger fan, and I can't wait to go back and watch your work with this new appreciation of having talked to you for an hour. See, that's, and so my job is done here. Yeah. I mean, that's the entire, you know, and mm-hmm. it's all the spy work. It's that's yeah. what, that's what made it. Yeah. yeah. And one day when I converted some you. article that leaks about you being a spy. I'm right. excited to read that too. But yeah, I kind of saw that. Kind of, kind of, kind of thought uh, so. Right. Thanks. See you guys next week. 
Listening to, you're listening to unlicensed, 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 unlicensed therapy with Ari Manis. Ari Manis.